we will definitely not shut up and dribble. The champ is here. I'm going to continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will, I will not, not, not lose. lose. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man. MH. Is the DB of the show, and we are Black in Sports. Giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here interviewing the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom, covering it all, laughing it all, while providing a platform to be heard. So you know what we like to do around this time, and we got to welcome our guests, all right? So we had to make the call because he's known as the man in the center of NIL, all right? So he's a consultant, speaker, Alpha Phi Alpha Incorporated, sports attorney, and founder and president of Anomaly Sports Group. Let's please, please clap it up for our guest, Luke Thelman, man. Welcome to the to the pod, man. We appreciate you taking the time, you know, a little bit later on that East Coast. Uh, so we appreciate you staying up for us, man. But how we like to start the show is with a shoot your shot moment, okay? So this is where you kind of tell us the time you went for it all, make or break. You could have won, you lost, fumbled the ball. It could have been with the ladies. It could have been back in your playing days, whenever, but just a shoot your shot moment. Go. My shoot my shot moment. Wow. You know what? I'll be honest with you. My shoot my shot moment, it was to do what I'm doing right now. Okay. So I was an attorney. You know, I was uh, I was practicing at a, a firm, um, working with athletes, doing mergers and acquisitions work. I got recruited to a company to go in-house, uh, Scott's Miracle Grow. Um, I was doing, you know, mergers and acquisitions work there, you know, buying companies um, basically around the world, which was cool. But who really gets that into like, dirt and fertilizer i mean great company don't get me wrong but it just wasn't it wasn't really feeding my soul and so what i did was i came up with a plan um and i wanted to go to a large law firm uh, where i could do the two types of work i wanted to do i wanted to be able to work with athletes as their lawyer but i also wanted to be able to focus on educating athletes and groups of athletes so i have my company anomaly sports so i was pitching to a law firm an old predominantly white law firm and when i say old i mean this firm has been around for like 180 years we're not talking about like 30 or 40 years like this firm has been around forever okay. and i came in and i shot my shot that's kind of a weird you know tense of verb type of thing but you get my point i shot my shot with these guys i sat down in front of the entire executive committee and pitched them on why they needed to hire me to be able to lead to basically start and lead their sports practice and for them to be then be a partner with me in my business here I am five years later. Guess That's I made cool. that shot, baby. <laughs> the power of sports. So, so Luke, man, where did your love for sports start? Well, my love for sports just generally started. I grew up in upstate New York, about two hours from the city. Um, for me, it was all basketball. I love basketball. Big East basketball was my thing. I didn't care, you know, about football. That really wasn't, I really wasn't into football, but College basketball, the Big East, we're talking about the old Syracuse teams, the Georgetown teams, St. John's. Like, I mean, they would battle. And then I'm a diehard Knicks fan back when the oh, NBA man. was the NBA and they would play. And my Knicks, we didn't win any championships, but my Knicks would fight anybody and they held it down. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, I fell in love with sports like early on. I love playing, love watching sports. And, um, you know, I never thought I was going to have a career in sports, but here we are. So let, I, I got to stop a little bit on the Knicks, man. As a fellow oh, here Knicks, we go. Man. I'm going to come back when y'all finish. Go <laughs> yeah, take a break, EJ. Have a drink. <laughs> where, where do you think we're at right now, man? Uh, it, it, the season last year was a, a good little piece of a foundation for the new regime. Kind of struggling a little bit this year. But w- w- what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think if, uh, if we stay healthy, we're going to be all right. We'll get into the playoffs. The East ain't that hard. We got to stay healthy, though. If we stay healthy, I think we'll be like – I think we could be a 4 or 5 seed. Uh, I'm not worried about that. Um, and I think we could, you know, knock on wood, man. I think we could win a freaking playoff series for the first time you. in 18 years or whatever it's been. I so this you. this that year. We're not we're not gonna win it all. I'm not I'm not a crazy Knicks fan, but <laughs> I think we could win a playoff series. And that Baby you know, steps. just something to build on. I like it. And I mean it's always a good place to make break historical records, right? So I mean, 
You know, you guys are in the record books. Yeah, for chill being out. Rare. I know. Come on, EJ. Dang. <laughs> Dang I'm your guest, bro. I just got on, man. Give me a little, give me a couple minutes of leeway. Yeah, I, I, I live this with MH. MH is a is a Nick fan, so he rides with you on that, man. What else you got, MH? So you did a little running in track, right? If I saw it correct, man, uh, and some cross country stuff. So I don't know anything about the cross country, but we always like to talk about the track, man. So how was track and what was your events? Yeah, so I ran uh, I ran the 400 and the 800, mostly the 800. Um, and uh, I think the 800 is the hardest, uh, the hardest racing track, period. I, I, I might be which I ran the 400 and 800 in, in, in high school along with the 200. But I think that 800 was uh, a, 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 a beast. It's, it's like a, a sprint for two laps. All right, good. Thank you. You yeah. get it. You already yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your time? Give me give me some times on the 800. Dang. Uh, so in the in the 800, I was 155. Um, <laughs> and in the, the 400, I was like low 49s. So that, that was what you ran to, in, in college, too? Nah, so in college, I only ran for a year. So, like, those were my two PRs. But um, I, I realized real quick. So I got a – I was getting recruited to run track to different schools. I got an academic scholarship to Wake Forest where I went. So I, But I still wanted to run. So I ran, and I'm like, these dudes real fast. They, like, fast, fast. <laughs> for real fast. <laughs> like, yo, like, I kind of want to do some other things. I mean, doing – you know, Waking up, having early morning practice, you out there, you trying to hang out and kick it at night with your friends because you in college and like this is a whole new world. But then you got to get up and run, you know, 16, 400s the next morning at five o'clock. Yeah, I was like, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm not good enough for all of that to, to be sacrificing so much. So uh, so I left I left running, man. I left that for the pros to do their thing um, so that I could go do some other things in school. Well, it seems like you still run for fun. I mean, you know, in your social, man, you're out there. Every city you go to, you like to, you know, kind of get out there and get a run. And is it something that's still um, maybe more of a joy now that it's not forced? Or is it something that's come like therapeutic, right? Because, you know, you hear a lot of runners just talking about getting out, you know, especially after this pandemic, you know, just getting out, being in that nature, clearing your head with a busy guy such as yourself. First of all, let me give y'all kudos, man. Y'all do your research. I, that's what I'm talking about. Like, my man knows that I run for fun. I'm like looking around, like you got me bugged. Like, how you, how you all, how you all over me like that? But um, but yes, I do. I like to run for fun. Um, and for me, it's, it's more so um I travel a lot and uh it's a way for me to just kind of kind of settle myself. Um, you know, you get off the plane when you're traveling a lot, you don't eat as healthy as you should. Um, so it's just a great way to get out, see new cities. I want to I like I like to feel the vibe of a city. Like I was talking about, I like the smell of different cities. And I'm not saying they're like good smells. I'm just like, I like to smell the city, see what it's sitting for. I like to I like to like hear the sounds and see the sights. And you see things differently when you when you're running through the city as opposed to just, you know, taking an Uber or whatever through the city. So um, so, yeah, I do that. And I, and I do it, um, you know, because it does settle me like. Um, but. You know, it's interesting. Like, I don't I don't just run for like fun these days. Like, it's not like fun for me to run. I run because I'm like, I'm getting older and I need I, I'm putting these LBs on. Like, I, I need to do these. I need to do some cardio here. So I need to run a little bit. Um, but uh, but yeah, I do still run. I, I, I bike um, up until recently um, play basketball. I, I think I might be hanging my Hanging my kicks up. We'll oh, see. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, I know. Oh. I know. We'll see. I'm. I'm getting older, man. These these pains are getting a little bit more sharp. The, the knees, the, right? The, the, the ankles, jumper never like... goes away. Yo, you ain't lying. The jumper never goes away, and the jumper is most definitely still there, for sure. But my back and my knees just might not be where my jumper is right now. So let me ask you this: as a college basketball fan and, and grew up as a, a Big East fan. You know how the conferences have changed over, and now you know Syracuse, as you mentioned, is a you know an ACC uh, opponent to Wake Forest. How do you feel about the way that the conferences have switched over and some legitimate lot rivalries that are maybe not as big as they used to be? I hate it, man. I, like I miss it. Like I'm like you know we all it, it, this this nostalgia thing, right? Every generation has its nostalgia, like its thing that was like no, this was the best it could have ever been, and and we miss it, and so. If if you if you or your your listeners your viewers if, if you haven't seen it um, there was a, a documentary I can't remember it wasn't thirty for thirty but it was something along those lines maybe by NBA TV or a different sports channel but it was called um, Requiem for the Big East 
And if you are like a fan of basketball, you should check it out because it really goes into like Big East basketball from the 80s and 90s, how it it helped put ESPN on the map, right, for airing college basketball on a regular basis. Um, but it talks about how football blew it up, how football blew up the Big East um, because of the football dollars and the money that follows kind of football and why schools make these changes, right? Like Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC is not because of any sport other right. than football. Right. You know what I mean? So like when you think about like the rivalries that exist within, you know, the big 12 and all that kind of stuff, like it, it all changes because of football. So I, I, I dislike that. I miss, I miss seeing, you know, Georgetown and Syracuse and I miss, I miss seeing all these schools go after it. Right. The, I mean, think about it. Ohio State and Michigan have been playing each other in football for whatever it is, 100 years. Um, there's such history there. I mean, I, I hate when you erase that just because, you know, you want to try to go make some more money somewhere else. Absolutely. So being, you know, a New York guy and then going away for us, how did you end up at Ohio State to get your a law degree? How did, how did that choice come up? Yeah, man. You know, when uh, when you decide to get married, you know, we, we often make these decisions. You know, we don't make these decisions that are just for ourselves, right? You know, when two become one, you make these decisions that are good for the whole. And um, so I grew up in New York. I went to school at Wake Forest, um, and I've lived in Philly, D.C., and Miami. Okay. And um, decided to go to Ohio State for law school. My wife, after she got her MBA, uh, she started working at Abercrombie & Fitch, which is headquartered here in Columbus. Mm -hmm. um, Columbus has a huge kind of retail scene with Abercrombie, Victoria's Secret, oh, yeah. DSW, uh, L Brands, The Limited, all that stuff. So, um, so she came here, and um, for for me, you know, with law school, it's like, well, you know, if I'm going to be here in Columbus, I'm going to go to Ohio State. So, came to Ohio State, and I, I'll be honest with you, I, I really have fallen in love with the city. Um, you know, been here for a number of years now, and um, it's a, it really is a, an easy city with a lot going on. Um, you know, my uh, my good friend, Bruce, Bruce Wimbish is the ambassador uh, when it comes to Columbus. So I'm not on that level yet, but I, I love Columbus. Uh, my kids love it. You know, we've got two kids now. And so just, um, you know, being here in the city, it's a it's a great it's a great town. And I'll tell you this, especially you don't got to worry about the traffic like, you know, a lot of other cities. And uh, when you land, because I travel a lot, when you land on a plane, knowing that literally as soon as you step off that jet bridge, you're going to be home in 20 minutes. Oh, that's, that's love. So where does Winston Salem rank for you in cities? I know you you said you like to see the the feel the smell of the cities. I've I've seen I've been in Winston Salem so before. So where does that rank in cities for you? Well, <laughs> Winston Salem. <laughs> Let's just say you know Wake Forest. Um, Wake Forest was an experience, right? Being on the campus, um, the the university itself, I loved it, right? So. My Wake Forest experience, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love my experience. I love my time. I love my four years. Um, but when I was there, I, I know over the last now, you know, years since I graduated, um, <laughs> it's been like it's changed a lot where the, the, the university has engaged with the city more. When I was there, um, it was much more of a bubble. Um, so you didn't really get into the city a lot. Right. You'd you know, go to church or go here and there, go grab food and stuff like that. But like. Um, so for me, Winston-Salem was never like a city in my life. Like, like it was like Wake Forest was my university where I went to school. So you crossed there, right? Is that where you uh, pledged? No, I pledged in a alumni chapter here in Columbus. Okay. So what was the decision to choose that? Um, you know, that is one of the historic, it's the first, but, um, you know, definitely interesting to find out why people choose, you know, their organizations. My man said it was the first. That's what I'm talking about. It was the first. Um, so for me, there was no other. There was no other choice. Um, okay. Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. I mean, it's the oldest, boldest, and coldest. Um, it is the first uh, fraternity. We got. You, you like that, EJ, don't you? I see that. I, I'm just waiting for you to throw it up, and I know if he's going to start. You know, you got some space back there. Hey, I, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> but my speaker's not working right now, so I won't be able to hear you if I start stepping over there. Um, but uh but no, it, you know, honestly, um, you know, Alpha, especially, you know, here in Columbus, um, I'm serving as the chapter president, uh, alumni chapter president here in Columbus. And uh, we're just doing great work. I mean, we just we just served, um, you know, uh, Thanksgiving dinner to 100 families, um, you know, this past Thanksgiving, uh, just doing great work in terms of mentoring, developing um, and preparing, you know, young black boys 
um, in middle school and high school for success beyond school. And we've, we've got some issues in this city. I mean, Columbus, you know, Columbus has some issues. We've got some homicide issues. Um, we've got some significant issues that I feel like, um, you know, black men need to step up to be able to help address some of those issues. Um, and we can address some of those issues in unique ways that, that others can't. But we got to put in that work. And so I've always done the work, but to align myself with other brothers who are also trying to do that work um, and to like plug in, you know, to tap in with that with that organization that's doing that work. For me, that's what it's all about. That's fantastic. man. You mentioned uh, aligning yourself and as a former kind of military brat myself, when my my. my my mom was in the Air Force and uh, my dad worked civil service for a while. Just talk about the experience that you had with the National Guard, what that's, what that's given you in your career. Yeah. Um, first, thanks to, to your parents for their service. Um, you know, it, it was an interesting um, it was an interesting experience. You know, I, I always wanted to be in the military. I don't know why. I just always was drawn to this. Um, I, you know, I think it was the mix of like the uniform. It was the respect. It was the look right when I was younger. And then as I got older, it's like, wow, this is, you know, this idea of serving something that's greater than yourself. And, you know, so 9-11, so I graduated 2001. Not, um, I graduated in May. I started working at an investment firm in Philly in July, June, July. And then 9-11 happened just a couple months later. Um, and so the, um, the firm that I worked at had a big military recruiting kind of program. So a lot of the people I worked with were veterans or were still in the reserves or the National Guard. And um, when 9-11 happened, it was just that moment where I was like, why am I not serving? Like, why am I not stepping up to say, I want to serve? And what for me, you know, was special about the National Guard was it really was about how do you serve your community? How do you serve locally as well as potentially serve overseas? Now, my biggest regret, and I, I share this all the time, you know, God works in his own ways. My biggest regret, I was in the National Guard for almost 10 years and never once went overseas um, for the Guard. Um, I was activated for um, Hurricane Katrina. So we went down. So my unit, I was an infantry officer. <clears throat> my unit went down um, about two days after the levees broke. So the hurricane hit on a Saturday, the levees broke on Tuesday, and we were down there on Thursday. We were the first non-Louisiana National Guard unit down there. And it was mind blowing. And for me, it really was like, this is why I served. I mean, as an infantry officer, you know, during that time, there was no electricity. There was, you know, it, it was, it was complete chaos and pandemonium. Like it was incredible. We did search and search and rescue uh, missions. We ultimately ended up being security and, you know, kind of supplementing the police force um, that was down there. But even we were down there for about three months. And even towards the end of that time, one of the most crazy experiences that I've ever had in the United States of America was they had no electricity. Um, and so there was a bank. We had gotten to this town. There was a suburb of, of New Orleans and they wanted to get people cash. They wanted to get people money, but the ATMs didn't work because there's no electricity. And so the bank, you know, we were responsible for the a bet, protecting a bank, you know, pharmacies, uh, medical centers, like an airstrip, all this kind of stuff. Right. But the bank in particular was like, all right, we're going to open up. We're going to go in. We're going to take out bags of cash. We're going to set up a table outside um, with these bags of cash. And we need you all to protect us so that people don't steal this cash so that we can come and people can tell us if they have an account at this bank, we'll take their name. We'll write it down in a ledger and people can take up to $200 cash in the United States. Like this was a crazy thing. So for me, that experience was phenomenal. Um, I went on, I spent a year in D.C. doing um, uh, uh, an air defense, an ongoing air defense mission in Washington, D.C. for a year, uh, joint uh, um, mission with the Air Force, which was phenomenal. Um, got a chance to you know, go to the Oval Office, do a lot of different cool things. Um, you know, when our president was president, which was great. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, man, I think, you know, my my experience in the military, you're like, dang, dude, that's a long answer. But my experience in the military really did teach me a lot about humility. Um, when you think about the the army values, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage, all of those things like play a role. All of those attributes play a role in the professional and personal work that I do every single day. And that's fantastic. That's, that's beautiful. EJ, before you get into the next part, I had to ask this question, right? Okay. So <laughs> I read an article about your Samsonite briefcase that you wanted, man. I think that is dope. Partly because I always wanted a Samsonite briefcase. 
but probably for a different reason. Dumb and Dumber was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I needed that briefcase. But man, did you, did, you got that briefcase? You, you still got it? Well, is it still in the I, rotation? It's funny. I, I don't I don't still have it. Um, <laughs> it's somehow somewhere at some point I was like, this is whack, whatever. And like, <laughs> my parents probably threw it away or whatever. Little did I know, you know, 30 years you know, later or whatever, I'd be like, oh, that briefcase. But um, what's funny is uh, my best friend, my best friend, um, after that article came out, he went and he found a Samsonite briefcase that is very, very similar. He uh, put a nameplate on the inside, a nice little letter, put the put the magazine that I was on in it inside of it and came and gave it to me, man. Just one of the very few gifts that I've got in life that actually moved me to tears um, because that that briefcase for me, that briefcase symbolized like moving out of my situation. Like it symbolized to me like um, making it like like success. Right. Like the only people I knew that ever carried a briefcase were like people who were successful. Like so it, to me, it was like that was the the symbol of making it. And so, um, you know, to then then uh, receive it, you know, however many years later, it's it's pretty cool. Great research. Y'all got a great I don't know if y'all do your own research, but y'all got a, re- a great research staff if you do. <laughs> we, we we got a good research staff. It's me and him. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so now we want to jump into the career, man. And we're going to, you know, not to, to glaze over because I think we'll cover it all. But it's definitely some real important stuff. And we're, I mean, we're honored to have you on here. But so, you know, it, let's not like glaze over the, <laughs> the fact that you're a partner in the chair at your log firm. You know what I mean? And then I'm glad you shared that your shoot your shot moment was actually, you know, coming there and, and convincing them to start Anomaly, which is the sports uh, benefactor, which, um, you know, just that's hands claps to you. But before, um, just give us light, like how you went from, you know, miracle grow to in, into this field before we get into what we want to really heavily talk about as NIL. But just just tell us how you, you know, you got to that point. Yeah. I mean, so when um, when I was at Scott's, um, I knew I was leaving the athlete clients that I was working with um, at the firm prior. And so while I'm at Scott's, I'm doing like acquisitions, like corporate acquisitions and whatever. It it was what it was. It was it was it was cool. It was interesting work. Um, I was working with some great law firms from across the really around the world um, because we were doing a lot of uh, international acquisitions. Um, But I still had athletes calling. And I still had athletes wanting to learn different things and wanting to pick my brain or maybe needing legal services for different things. And I would send them different, you know, different attorneys. And it really just got to me at one point where I'm like, I miss this, man. I want to be the guy they go to. They're coming to me anyway. Like, I want to I want to be back in the mix answering their questions. Um, And it really is. It really is fascinating, too. And I know we're going to get into NIL and some other things here in a little bit. But the timing and, and truly God's timing is everything because I left Scott's Miracle Grow in 2017 and started here at the firm. And if you think about that timeline, I mean, name, image and likeness really started gaining steam in 2019. So being here in 2017, allowing me to prove myself right to the people who said, um, are we taking a bet on this guy? Like, is this going to you know, be positive, You know, make a positive impact on the firm? Like, should we do this? Like, so I had kind of a year and a half to two years to kind of start to to build this thing out to say this is going to be this is going to be something um, anomaly started to build it out, brought on Bruce to like help, you know, kind of grow anomaly and spend that focus there. And the reason we brought Bruce on really was because the sports law practice was growing so fast because I was already in the space and people were happy to hear that I was back in this space that I didn't have the time to say like, okay, well, I got to call these schools and try to promote what we're doing or call these pro teams and get in front of them. So Bruce with, you know, being the freaking mayor and governor and all that he is right of knowing everybody, like he was the perfect fit to come into anomaly to really say, okay, I'm going to supercharge anomaly and I'm going to go out and, and get in front of these folks for us. Um, the timing was everything. It gave us time. It gave him time to get comfortable with kind of anomaly and where we're, where we are and what our mission was. It gave me time to get, you know, get the firm comfortable with what I'm doing. Right. And now think about this. We're talking about a firm that has about 250 attorneys, you know, give or take. Um, We're in eight different cities. We only have four black partners. Now, four black partners compared to other firms of similar size. Mm -hmm. That's not like mind blowing. It's mind blowing when I say that number out loud because it's like, holy crap, it should be more than that. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, to then think that they're going to not just bring me on and, you know, I get elevated to partner, which was great, but like also to bring on Bruce, who's a non-lawyer, right? Bruce has his MBA, master's in business, uh, master's in business, but also master's in sports administration and to bring him on to help with anomaly. Um, I mean, they made a bet on us and now thankfully they've gotten a return on their investment and, you know, we are, <laughs> we're doing well, but, but, you know, they made some, they made some bets and it, and it worked off, but I, I don't ever, you know, um, ignore the fact that God's timing in all of this um, was the perfect timing for us to come on and start where we started. Let's go. And it's growing fast. So how, how do you go about, you know, kind of managing the growth of every, you know, of, of the firm? I don't sleep. <laughs> I mean, you see, I'm still in my office on the East Coast. It's after 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> Come on, bro. I don't sleep. Like, I mean, in real talk, real talk, it's a lot of work. It, it, it's just, I, I, you know, here's the thing. I'm going to use an analogy, and, 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 and I think people will probably get this. Like, we're in our harvest, most definitely. We're in our harvest time right now, with Anomaly in particular, because of name, image, and likeness. We're getting asked to speak all over the country and work with schools all over the country. We've got eight or nine NFL teams that have us come in and get in front of their players. Um, you know, so there's a lot going on. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times we use this analogy, like you plant your seeds and everything, and then you ultimately have a harvest. And people think like the harvest is just when you reap the reward. But if you think about it from an agricultural perspective, in addition to a, a, a spiritual perspective, a harvest is not like easy, right? When you think about it back in the day, people used to bring families from all across the whatever to come and help with the harvest. The harvest time is why kids don't go to school year round, right? Because they need to, they need to be able to be available for the harvest, right? In the summertime, the harvest is work. The corn cobs don't remove themselves from the stock, right? Someone or some machine has to come and do that. And so for us, our harvest time is right now, but it's incredible work. So we're spending a lot of time uh, working in our harvest. Now we're planting new seeds. Um, there are a lot of things that we're doing to prepare ourselves to continue to um, be needed, right? Because at some point, name, image, and likeness won't be the, the newest thing to talk about, right? Um, but there are some ancillary aspects of name, image, and likeness and just what we see in terms of the empowerment movement of student athletes um, at the college level and um, the empowerment of professional athletes and recognizing this business that they have around them. The fact that they're a CEO of this business, um, that we're preparing ourselves to be, you know, again, that trusted resource and that go to uh, resource to be able to help them navigate that. That's, that's a so, word. My God, my God. <laughs> the doors of the church are open. Right, right. Wow. Well, let me grab another drink then. <laughs> so with that, man, being you said the CEO, right? And that, and when I think of that, man, I really think of, of just the understanding of the brand and how important is it of, of about, you know, individuals brand, man? Do you really um, put that as part of the education that you guys uh, go out and do and talk to people? Yeah, man, listen, the brand is everything. I mean, you already know it, right? Your brand speaks for itself. Um, and it doesn't matter what it is, right? It doesn't matter if you're an athlete. If, if um, you know, EJ, MH, your brand speaks for itself. If if y'all had a whack brand, nobody's listening, right? If people didn't trust you, if your brand was something that people couldn't trust, that people couldn't get behind, nobody's tuning in. Nobody's going to listen. Um, you know, I talk about lawyers. I do branding conversations with law students and different law schools will bring me back to, to have those conversations, to... Um, lawyers that we have here at our firm, especially our associates, your brand matters. If your brand, um, your brand speaks for itself. If your brand is one that um, people just can't get behind, then you're going to, you're going to have to either change your brand or you're not going to overcome kind of what it is you're looking to overcome. So when we think about this for athletes in particular, um, right now, because of name, image, and likeness, your brand is what allows you to potentially earn compensation outside of your sport. There are stories. Um, there's a uh, and I'm, I know I'm going to misquote this. There's a he's either the third or fourth string quarterback at UCLA who has significant name, image and likeness deals right now. The L.A. Times did a great article on him. And it's just because even though he's not the starter, even though he's not getting the playing time because of his brand and who he is and his engagement, once he gets an opportunity, his engagement that people want to continue to work with him. Um, he's working with some national brands across the country and making significant money in name, image, and likeness. Um, we know of other athletes who 
are because of their brand, not just because of their number of followers, but because of their brand that they've created of who they are, of how they're seen publicly um, and, and whatnot that have done very well in this space um, at the college and professional levels. And I think that just goes, that's a, uh, just a testament to how important your brand actually is. And I think that's a dope part that a lot of people were really um, worried about going in, right? Because like, and, and myself was, you know, not knowing what this was going to be, but you first thought like, oh, all the Alabamas and the big schools and the star people were the ones that were going to really excel at this. And yeah, they have some opportunities that are not afforded, but it's not the only opportunities. And I think right. even seeing um, uh, one of the partners that you work with, the uh, Open Doors, um, shout out to Blake, man, good people over there. Good people. But, um, they... They said like their social engagement is like the number one thing that people are doing. And then it goes down to like, you know, signing autographs and memorabilia is like down to number eight or something like that. Yeah. So, so that's that's good facts. What are some of the other things that were surprising to you as you started navigating from the uh, following the law? Right. When it was getting written and things like that to the present day we're at right now. You know, I think the most surprising thing to me and, and I shouldn't have been surprised by this. But the most surprising thing to me was how how many people were against it, right? I mean, the NCAA did not just decide one day, like, you know what? We should allow student athletes to get paid. Like, that didn't happen, right? California passed it. And because California passed it, then, you know, the, the NCAA regulations can't trump state law. So the minute California passed it, the NCAA knew, oh, crap, like, we we're, we're, we're going to have to deal with this. Right. Um, then obviously Florida kind of jumped the gun, like, Hey, we don't care about waiting. We're going to do this thing like next wow. year. And so it, you know, escalated things. Um, but it was surprising to me how many people thought that this was going to be the downfall of college sports. You know, I did a, a, a podcast episode, um, where I talked, it was shortly after name, image, and likeness. And I remember just saying like, you know, we're whatever it was at the time, four weeks or six weeks into NIL and the world is still spinning on its axis and college sports still exist. Right. I mean, it's like like, you know, people thought this was going to be the downfall. Like, oh, my God, college student athletes get paid. Now, mind you, you know, if they only had the foresight to see that, you know, in the month of November, we were going to have, you know, a college coach get paid a ninety five million dollar guaranteed contract to go coach somewhere else. And another one get a hundred and whatever million dollar contract guaranteed to go coach somewhere else. Right. And these college coaches making up, you know, all of this ridiculous ridiculous money. But yet we have an issue with a, a student athlete being able to go do a thousand dollar or five thousand dollar appearance somewhere. I mean, like, come on, man. So that's something that I think has has tripped me out. But what what is not lost on me is truly the 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 racial aspects of college sports. Right. And that oftentimes we know that, especially in the revenue producing sports, that African-Americans, black student athletes are um, you know, the predominant athletes in, in college football, and college basketball in terms of numbers. And so um, it's not, you know, it, it's just not lost on me that oftentimes it's that there is racial undertones to some of this conversation that we don't want student athletes to be empowered. We don't want student athletes to get paid. We don't want student athletes to have these opportunities for success. Right. Um, you know, we think about there's so many things that student that black student athletes have given up over the years to make college football as 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 lucrative and financially successful as it's been, right? All the things that all the athletes did that ended up tearing up my beloved Big East, right, and, and ripping it into something that we I no longer recognize um, in the same ways, right? Because of the money in it, but that money came on the backs of so many of our um, student athletes uh, on our black student athletes in particular. So it, it just really tripped me out kind of how, um, how, like how upset certain people were that college student athletes were going to get paid. Let me ask you this on, on that kind of note. Um, I spent some time in Turkey. My dad was stationed there for a little bit and my little brothers went to high school there for a little bit, but in Turkey and in Europe, and you, you guys know, and I'm not going to, I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit, but, you know, they treat university and what they do for, like, college completely different. You know, if you're an athlete and you're past high school, you're almost a professional, right, yeah. um, in a sense, and you're not necessarily tied as a, I guess, student athlete. You're, you're just a professional. You're, you're, you're going to get, get paid. Do you see, uh, maybe not the death of the NCAA and what we know as, you know, college athlete, but do you see that 
separating at all in the future in, in your line? So, you know, just like how I talked about when football, like the football led the change in the Big East, right? I keep going back to the Requiem of the Beast. If you have not watched it, you've <laughs> got to watch this thing. Right? It was so good. But um, I think that we're going to see some significant change to the NCAA over the next three to five years. I, I don't know that I would call it the death of the NCAA, but um, when you think about it, you know, here's the thing. The NCAA is just an association. It's just an association of its member institutions. So the NCAA only has the power that the schools themselves give to it. So sure. some people say, you know, the NCAA should just, you know, change its name, become something new, like, you know, become outdated and just call itself now the Association of, you know, American Universities or whatever it is, right? You know, well, I guess that would make it AAU, which would probably be weird, but um, whatever. It comes up with something. Um, and But the thing is, is it's all about the power that whatever the association is, whatever it, whatever power it has. And so when we think about this, it's like, okay, football, I think, football has already left the NCAA, right? Football has left the NCAA from the perspective of the NCAA is not responsible for its championships because that's what the NCAA really is only um, over, <laughs> yeah. right? It's enforcement right. of the rules and then it's championships, right? So it runs the NCAA Final Four, you know, March Madness Final Four for men's and women's. It runs, you know, here in Columbus, we're hosting the volleyball, you know, D1 volleyball championships this weekend, you know, things like that. Like it runs the championships, but it doesn't run football's championship. That's college football playoff. College football playoff. I know they're struggling right now in their conversation about expansion. They will expand, whether they do it this year and, and from the perspective of, I think you have to vote by this year for it to be, to go into effect in 2025 or whether it happens, it's going to happen at some point because the revenue numbers are by keeping it at four teams in the college football playoff, you get about, they drive about $600 million in revenue, significant. But if you have 12 teams, it drives $2.2 billion in revenue. Now, March Madness, right? The cash cow for the NCAA, March Madness right now brings about a billion dollars, right? A billion dollars a year. So if you could imagine college football playoff, which is beholden to no one else, Right. When, when when the NCAA does March Madness and they bring in a billion dollars a year, they still have to fund D2, D3. They give them some they, they break them off a little bit, give them some bread. They 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 fund, you know, it goes back to schools and all this kind of stuff. So we know that this college football playoff is going to expand. So at some point they could say, you know what, we're taking on all college football um, and or at least power five football. Um, and so I think we're going to see some changes there. I think the NCAA is is. Uh, has some tough waters ahead. I think the Supreme Court was very clear in their um, decision in the NCAA versus Austin case. While that case only dealt with a very narrow question, um, it spoke directly to the NCAA's authority. Um, it spoke very directly to whether or not there was um, uh, uh, kind of an antitrust exemption held by the NCAA. They said that there's not. Um, so I think what we're gonna see is when student athletes um, want rights, I think they're going to get them. And so it's going to be very interesting to see what the future looks like. Um, obviously, there have been conversations about unionization. Um, that's taken on a whole new kind of breath. We saw it in 2015 with Northwestern football team. We're seeing it again now where the uh, National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, their general counsel, right? The NLRB is who decides who can be, who can, who can unionize, right? So that the NLRB, their general counsel, their head lawyer wrote a memo that said, you know what? I think that student athletes are really employees and should be able to unionize as such. Um, wow, that is a powerful statement. We've seen legislation already introduced um, about the unionization of college student athletes. So I think we're going to see college sports look very different. Um, let me take this back. College sports are always going to be college sports. We're always going to see March Madness. We're always going to see games. We're going to see student athletes get on the field, on the court, on the pitch, whatever, and they're going to compete. But the business of college sports, I think, is going to change drastically over the coming years. Nice. So I've seen you post before, and I don't know if they've changed, but what are your your top five tips for NIL, um, you know, for, for the student athletes, man, that, uh, you know, that takeaway, that nuggets that they could have, top five? All right. Thank you. Here we go. <laughs> get your pen. In no paper, particular order. I get it. I'm, I'm excited now. In no particular order. One, you've got to make sure that you don't sign a contract until you know and understand what it says. All right. This is at the pro level. I talk to pro guys about this all the time. Um, that's where they just send it to me like, Luke, what does this say? What does this mean? That's what I do. But the college level, 
You know, they're still learning whether they should have an attorney or not. Don't sign anything until you understand what it says. Number two, taxes. I've done calls. I've done multiple calls now with the NFL and their league office um, talking about name, image and likeness, because the league is trying to figure out what is this going to look like for our teams when players already come in having made money, potentially having made millions or at least six figures, whatever. Like, what is that going to look like? But taxes is a significant issue. Um, and if athletes don't understand, college athletes don't understand the importance of paying their taxes or thinking that they can get by and nobody's going to know, nobody's going to find out. You know, what is that TikTok? TikTok says something like there's like that track that's like, you know, they're going to know. No, they're not. They're not going to know. You know, whatever. Like, no, the IRS is going to know. Um, so paying taxes, number two, critically important. Um, being able to create a budget, right? Being able to have a budget and a plan um, for when you make money is going to be important as well. Um, number four, make sure that you're authentic to yourself. Be authentic to your brand. Um, don't allow your social media to just become a, a, an infomercial, right, of a timeline. So I've, I've talked to athletes that have been like, you know, man, I'll take $20 for a tweet. And it's like, all right, you got $20, but like <laughs> your, your timeline sucks. So you're just hurting yourself because you can't then go on and like, you know, when when a, if you have the opportunity where for a significant brand to look at you for a significant deal, they're going to look at your timeline like, yo, what's that? You have no engagement because, you know, people are looking at it like, I don't want to just hear another ad from this player. Like, I love pistachios. I love, you know, whatever, like this car brand. I like this guy or whatever. So um, knowing that, I think, is, is number four. And then I think, you know, the last one that I'll say when it comes to name, image and likeness, um, you got to educate yourself. You've got to educate yourself. Um, the two words that mean the most to me in the work that I do and in my life are protection and education, protection and education. Um, I get to protect as a lawyer. I get to educate through my work in Anomaly. Um, but but that's my lens through any other decision I make professionally in life. Like I get asked to be on boards or, you know, different things along those lines. Can I protect? Can I educate? Um, can I make a difference? Can I make an impact? But you've got to educate. There are a lot. There's a lot of information out there, you know, um, to where you can learn about the business of name, image, and likeness. And when you can understand the business of name, image, and likeness, you can set yourself up for success for when you leave school. Because we know 98% of college student athletes are not going pro. So when you're going on to you know decide whether you're going to go to grad school or to take a job off or whatever, like educate yourself to prepare you so that name, image, and likeness can just be that conduit or just be that tool that you can use to help you get business style education that's going to help you be successful in life. Mm. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, MH, you want to jump into the quick hits, man, just so we can uh, stay on track and get to some more of the, the good stuff? Yeah, Luke, I just got a quick four questions for you to learn, to have our listeners learn a little bit more about you. So, uh, one, Tim Duncan or Chris Paul? Tim Duncan. Loving basketball or the wood? Ooh. That's a tough one. Ah, loving basketball. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mackin and chilling. Don't get me wrong. I love the wood. But ah, loving basketball. I watch, I've watched loving basketball more than I've watched the wood. Okay. Basketball head. Understand. I love yeah. Sanai Lathan. I mean, listen, stop. <laughs> Sanai, yeah. if you're watching, hey. they, they were running, they were running my, they were running my Twitter. Just hit me. Holla at me. There it is. All right, <laughs> but my wife's uh, from Detroit. My wife's from Detroit, so now, nah, so sorry. Yeah, but yeah. we at least we can at least say what's up. Let's we'll say what's up. I got you. Uh, a favorite like hobby or something that you like to do by alone? Go to the movies. Okay, biggest pet peeve. <laughs> we need we gotta <laughs> we need to take a minute. I know I need to take a breath. Um, mm. my biggest pet peeve are people who try to be more than they are and use words that exceed their vocabulary and their, their vocabulary and ability. I can't stand that. You try to sound smart and you making up words. Nah, I can't, I can't get with that. That's all I have, man. That's funny. I think that's one of my pet peeves too, bro. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so none of y'all like Stephen A then, huh? Oh. <laughs> 
All right, so let's get into the winner's circle, and then we may incorporate some other stuff, man. We just wanted to make sure that we get to it all, man. Like, like I said, it's an honor to have you on, so we want to try to touch as much as we can. So we'll start off with, um, tell us about the podcast, man. You, you, you're in this world as well with us, so uh, protect your possibilities, man. How'd that get started, and, and what was the need for that? What was the vision from that? Yeah, so really it was, uh, it was COVID that kind of kicked off the podcast. So early on, I just realized I'm not traveling. And I'm not talking to as many people in person as I wanted to. And at the at the beginning part of COVID, we still hadn't really all jumped on Zoom, right? Zoom didn't become this part of our everyday vocabulary, right? So um, uh, for me, I was just like, how can I get my my message out there? And I talked to our marketing team and just said, I really want to do a podcast. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah, yeah let's not do. And so they're like, all right, we got your back. So started the podcast is called protecting your possibilities and for me i mean y'all go strong y'all go 45 minutes and beyond like i go 15 to 20 minutes um you know even if i have a guest it's 15 20 minutes because what i want to do is i just want to talk about issues that affect athletes um there's a lot of crossover that for those issues that may affect entrepreneurs and business owners that kind of thing just on legal topics right legal topics that people don't really think about i try to make it easy try to make it um, accessible and available for, for all people. So whether we're talking about real estate, selecting a financial advisor, thinking about business investments, understanding decision-making. Um, I talk a lot about name, image, and likeness, you know, when different issues arise, I think my last episode was on, you know, name, image, and likeness when things go wrong, um, yeah. things go wrong as they sometimes will, uh, there will be some issues, you know, there as well. So, so I, I just try to have a good time, have a quick conversation and just share some topics with the people. On your last episode, you talked a little bit about Spencer uh, Rattler, and I don't want to take away uh, from the episode, but you hit an incredible point that even I had questions, which is about <laughs> what if, you know, the playing time and success on the field goes awry. Now, you know, Spencer now has transferred to South Carolina. and You kind of spelled out how that looked, but give us a couple nuggets that we can share with our guests about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, in name, image, and likeness, you can't have a deal that's based on performance. So you can't have a deal that says um, you've got to play this many snaps, you know, this many touchdowns, we're going to pay you this much money, or you've got to have this much play time, whatever it may be. Um, it's really based on, you know, separate and distinct from your 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 playing time and, and your performance on the field. So the challenge then becomes, well, what if you have uh, an athlete that is that is not performing, right, that just gets benched? that's not out there on the field, uh, not out on the court and uh, or just is on the court, but not performing at the level that they should be. So they're not getting that that, you know, maybe their draft stock is dropping, whatever it may be. Um, that's where you really got to understand the contract. What outs does the brand have to get out of that contract? What rights does the player have when they're a part of that, a party to that contract? Um, and and an understanding, you know, it's, it's been fascinating because there have been situations where players generally speaking players have not performed the way that they uh, were expected to and brands have recognized that and not held them responsible for promoting their brand in ways that the contract initially called for um, there are some real world examples of that and it's it's just one of those situations where the brand doesn't want to be in the position where they're out there having a player say hey you know eat at this restaurant or drink this soda or do this um, the day after a loss right. when the, the team is 0-3 and, and, and isn't winning and that player, that quarterback or that you know star player is, is getting benched, right? So, so it's just been fascinating kind of seeing that. Uh, but again, that's why it goes back to it's so important to understand the contract that you are actually signing. And that's the work I do every single day is to be able to help draft those agreements in a way that, that contemplates the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, of situations because it's easy to draft things when you're just thinking about the good, but you got to think about the bad and the ugly and what happens and how we're going to make sure that everybody's protected and comfortable when things go wrong. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, you talked about the NLRB and and a little bit of associations. Um, I know you guys tapped me a while back and just talking about um, creating the Basketball Parents Association, man. Uh, do you want to give us like maybe, you know, a quick overview of that and, and how that's going and where that's going? Yeah, real quick, the College Basketball Parents Association, it really is about creating a community of parents of college basketball players and to be honest, parents of high school basketball players. We have a lot of high school basketball 
parents um, who have have joined. It's free membership. You can go to thecbpa.org, T-H-E-C-B-P-A.org. Um, it's free to join. There's no cost. There's no hidden costs. Um, we started it because there are so many parents of college basketball players and elite college basketball players. We're not talking about just, you know, a, a, an unknown NAIA school somewhere, right? We're talking about some of like players. Our initial year was last year. And um, I don't remember the exact number, but I think we had as membership and in our leadership, five guys that were drafted in the first round last year. Um, so those parents who are parents of some of the most elite players in college basketball, they knew nothing about name, image, and likeness because nobody was talking to them about it. They knew nothing about the COVID protocols that schools were, were taking on because they weren't being educated on it or the impact, the medical um, impact of COVID at the time. They didn't know about, you know, understanding like coaches' perspectives and how coaches are thinking about all this. So we decided to say, hey, we're going to bring this community together. So one, parents at different schools could start talking to each other. And two, so that we could bring in different, um, use our leverage our network to bring in folks to help educate. So we brought in the chief medical officer uh, for the NCAA, and he did a whole session just with our parents on COVID at the time. This was before vaccines and all that kind of stuff. This was December of last of last year. Mm -hmm. um, we did a thing with uh, Craig Robinson, who's Michelle Obama's brother. We've brought him in a couple times to talk to our parents. He's the, the executive director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, the NABC. We brought his counterpart on the women's side from the WBCA in to talk to our parents. Um, we've brought in uh, mental health experts to talk to our parents. I mean, so at the end of the day, it's really about providing a resource because who's responsible to the parents in all of this, right? I, obviously, I talked to them about name, image, and likeness, but who's responsible to them? Because the school only really cares about the parents in as much as they're doing the recruiting. Once the recruiting's over, they're really, they're, they're just focused on the player, right? Who's mm -hmm. on campus. They don't care about the parents as much, right? Um, the NCAA, they don't care about the parents. So at the end of the day, now that's okay. That's a bit extreme. Maybe they care about them, but they're not doing the things to show that they care and to educate and prepare. No, you, you said it right so, the first time. No, they eating up they burn ins and leave it. <laughs> <Right, Kelly. laughs> so we stepped in and created the CBPA. That's dope. Uh, on the way over here, man, to the crib, I, I was listening to Rick Ross, his, his new album. He had a had a, a little co verse on there. Say you got to learn to use your mind to help you keep you help keep you out of certain situations. Uh, you've been educating for a long time and you've been doing it on the short parts on, on the pod. How do you go about choosing the topics that you want to talk about? Because you have a, a breadth of knowledge and there's layers to the NIL I've, that you've even touched on in the show. How do you go about choosing your subjects? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to let you all in on a little secret, you know, just between the three of us. You know what I mean? Don't share. Don't share with nobody. You know what I mean? <laughs> And our thousands I, of listeners. No, no, no. I know. It's, I know. It's I know. Of ours. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I literally, um, a lot of times, I will just sit down in front of my microphone, like, okay, my deadline is today. I got to record this today so it can get edited and all that stuff. What am I going to talk about today? And I literally think about what are the things that I have just done for clients recently, right? Because every single day, I have clients calling about all these different issues. Every single day, we're in front of student athletes. Um, talking about name, image, and likeness, and we're asking them. They're giving us real-time feedback about things they want to learn more about, things that they want to understand better, ways in which they feel like they're not being developed, right? That we, Because we ask the questions. So, you know, we're asking these questions and gathering this data and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of think about those things. And I say, you know, if people want help where I'm providing legal assistance on certain topics, or if student athletes are telling us I want to learn about topics, then I just kind of think about that and say, you know what? I'm going to talk about this today. I'm going to talk about the impact of taxes or I'm going to talk about how deals might go wrong because, hey, um, I just, you know, was reading an article about how Spencer Rattler, you know, entered the transfer portal. Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how name image like this affects that. So it's for me, it's always kind of just thinking about what's current, what's real. What have I dealt with recently? What do, what do pro athletes, what are they asking me about? I, you know, I did a, an episode on uh, nonprofits. And it's because I've had so many pro athletes tell me I want to start a nonprofit. And my you question is always like, why? Yeah, right? Let's talk about it. And that, you know, I don't have time on this on this episode to unpack it, but there's we don't need to start it right away. So Correct. let's talk about how we can set you up for long term success. But, you know, it's those kind of things where I just have a lot of different calls with with clients about things. And I'm like, you know what? That's another topic for the podcast. 
So is that kind of the genesis of where you got into NFTs, man? Because like that's a, a definite thing in, in sports uh, centric. It's blown up. And, and I would say, and I could be wrong, but in, NBA was the first one to take off with it for what they did with Top Shop. And like that's where it really started, you know, kind of garnering for me. And then now all these sports from MMA to actual individual athletes are, are, are taking off with that. So uh, um, give us a little bit of the quick and dirty about NFTs because that's a whole wormhole. Yeah. So I just started hearing about it more and more. I had a couple clients kind of asking about them. Um, and whenever that happens, I always want to learn myself. Right. So I got on to, you know, NBA Top Shot. Um, I got in. I got got in on that and was just like, you know what? I kind of got hooked a little bit like, you know, so I've got my I've got my collection on NBA Top Shot. Um, uh, kind of same thing with crypto. Right. Like, let me just get in so I can understand it so that I can explain it to people. So when we're talking about like how, you know, whatever doge did well you know up 20 percent, you know yesterday or whatever how you know shiba inu is doing this or whatever whatever like I, I know what's going on because now i'm involved um so for me yeah it was it it, it it came up but now because of name image and likeness and because of how nfts are starting to become more mainstream i've started to see more and more deals from pro athletes and from college student athletes and nil um, doing NFT deals and not understanding how NFT NFT deals should work. Um, you know, I've seen where where certain athletes might be taken advantage of because the contract called for the player to get paid on the front end and that's it and not get a percentage of the future sales. So, OK, college student athlete, you know, you somebody pays you fifty thousand dollars to do a few NFTs right now and you think that's big money. Yeah. But guess what? You're a college student athlete. You have the chance to go pro. So now all of a sudden you declare for the draft. Somebody else resells that NFT. They're making more money off of it. And then you get drafted and wherever you get drafted and you get drafted high. Boom. Somebody else sold it. They make more money off of it. And then you become an all star or whatever it is. Right. All the, everybody else making money. But you because you didn't understand how the contract worked on the front end to know that you need to be making sure that you're getting a percentage off of every future sale of that NFT. LeBron James doesn't make money when somebody draws a LeBron James NFT from NBA Top Shop because they paid 200 bucks or even they paid a thousand bucks to get that draw, to get that, that pack. And they just happen to pull him out that pack. He gets paid when the minute they pull him out the pack and say, I'm reselling it for $250,000. Now he starts getting some money that's, that's of meaning, right? So it's, it's the future sales and understanding how deals work. That's why, that's why I do what I do, man, because I want student athletes to be empowered by understanding what they're engaging in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and on today is, uh, and I don't want to keep going back to this, but today is a uh, national letter of signing, uh, signing day signing for, day. for, yeah. co for college football. And there's been some huge news. Um, I, I guess, however you want to call it, huge news with Travis Hunter, and he was a top two or top one, whatever okay. prospect uh, in the country. And he, he, he you know, changed. He flipped from Florida State University to Jack is Jackson State. The HBCU, baby, with, with Neon Dion. <laughs> Talk to me about it. Talk to me about that. I love to see it. I just had a conversation with somebody earlier tonight, right? Because ultimately, I think name, image, and likeness could absolutely have one of the most positive impacts on HBCUs. Um, if I were the president of an HBCU right now, or if I was an athletic director, I would, if I was athletic director, I'd go to the president's office. Um, if I was the president, I'd pull in the athletic director and I'd say, we're going to pull in all of our top alumni, all of our business owners, all of our entertainers, everybody that's whatever. And we're going to say, hey, you can invest in what we're doing by, by doing name, image, and likeness deals with our student athletes and helping our student athletes to earn compensation. We, that's to me, name, image, and likeness is how HBCUs can start to compete with these bigger schools. So, so now all of a sudden you get a Jackson state that's starting to get some top recruits. And so now, you know, when an Ohio state or a Michigan or a Alabama wants to get a cupcake on their schedule and they pay a million dollars, right. To an HBCU to come up and play, you know, Ohio state played FAMU a few years ago, paid them a million dollars to come up. Um, you know, I think the score was like 70 to three, or whatever. But when you now have name, image, and likeness where these schools are able to start recruiting top talent in football and basketball, I mean, in, in, in basketball, I mean, you're really just talking, you get a couple of the top players, yo, you can make a big time difference. 
And now all of a sudden you're an HBCU that gets into the tournament. And now you make a Cinderella run in the tournament and you do something where you make it into the final four. And you talk about the millions of dollars now that come into the school because of that. I mean, name, image and likeness to me is that it's it, I don't want to call it the great equalizer, but it most definitely is going to have an impact. I mean, I love to see it. That made me when I saw that somebody sent me that headline you know, earlier this morning. I love to see it. I'm, I'm excited for Dion. I'm excited for what he did. Um, you know, wasn't sure what he was going to be like as a coach. Knew he'd be a great recruiter. Wasn't sure what he'd like to you know, be as a coach, but had a great season. Um, you know, hey, listen, I wish him all the best. I wish all our HBCUs the best. And I think that there are ways that they can use name, image, and likeness to really change the game. Love it. All right, so here's what we come to, what we like to call the assist, man. This is even though you've been dropping nuggets the whole day, and, like, that's part of what you do, right? You protect and educate, right? So you've been educating us. And shout out to our sister, Savannah. She's a protector of athletes. So both of y'all had this little protector of athletes kind of thing going on. So we love having sis, and now we got big bro on. But uh, right here with uh, dropping the jewels, man, give us a, a, a word to live by, something you would tell your younger self, or just a quick quote, man, to, for the people. That's a good one. Um, you know, one of the one of the um, one of the kind of statements that I've always lived by it was like a it was like our motto when I was um, I don't know from my my basketball team or track team when I was a, a kid. Um, it was from the depths of adversity rise true champions, right? And I always think about it like for me, I've always felt like hard work pays off, like hard work pays off. Now, a lot of things have to fall into place, right? Um, I don't, I don't ever consider, um, you know, I just bought a sweatshirt the other day that says humble over hype, right? Um, I, I, you know, I, I'd much rather be more humble than be more hype um, because I know it's not all me. Um, obviously, I, I believe, you know, in, in, in God and, and his, you know, his, his power in my life. Um, and, and I've got mentors that have guided me. I've had counselors that have helped counsel me, you know, kind of to, to, to where I'm at today. Um, it does take a village. But believe that no matter what situation you're in, like you can rise. Right. And, and, and it's all about dreaming big and going after it. Like, you know, I, I don't have just kind of like one thing. I just I just want to I want to be able to, like, reach through the screen and like, you know, people who are listening, like just. Whatever it is that you want to do, believe in yourself, educate yourself to be the best at it or to understand it and go do it. You know, when I think about uh, anomaly and name, image and likeness, people are like, wow, you like um, you hit this right at the right time. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, some people even were like, man, it's like you're like an overnight celebrity and all that. Like, no, it's not overnight. I've been working on this for years. Like I've been putting in work for years. And the thing is, is like. You know, I, t I tell this to college students and law students in particular, right, that that when people say I want to get into sports law there, I'm like, all right, cool. Don't do it just because you want to be a fan, whatever. Do it because you want to make an impact. Right. But think about all of the current issues today and then add your point of view. Right. So if you were to just look at college sports, think about all the changes coming to college sports, sports betting, name, image and likeness, transfer portal changes esports, right? I mean, we, the list goes on and on, right? Conference realignment, right? All this kind of stuff. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. Educate yourself, be an expert on an area there, right? Like my son right now, he's all into video games. I try to get him outside to shoot around. He don't want to shoot around. He wants to play Fortnite. All right, buddy. Great. Guess what? You're going to learn about the business side of Fortnite. You're going to learn about the business side of these video games and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to expose you to Twitch. So you understand what Twitch is, how people make money off Twitch. I'm going to tell you about, you know, this lawsuit that Apple, you know, has with Fortnite or Epic Games and all this kind of stuff. Like I want you to understand the picture, the big picture of what's going on. Right. So that you can understand. it. So that's what I encourage you to do. As a side note, my seven year old daughter. Yeah, she's hitting on a 10-foot rim. She's my athlete. That's cool. But um, but no, I, that's hard to say, man. Just educate yourself and know that you can do everything you put your mind to. These two, let's go. MH, hit us with the final thoughts. Look, man, we appreciate it, man. What I love most about you, man, you're reaching down and, and grabbing two or three with you and bringing them up with you, man. So appreciate all that you're doing for us, for, for the culture, man, and keep up the good work. Thank you for your time, most importantly. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, hey, you know, we definitely want to thank our guests. And we want to thank the man behind our guest. He's over there, like hiding out. So we want to give Bruce a little quick shout out. So thank Look at you, Bruce, Bruce and Bruce <laughs> for getting us, uh, putting this together. So hey, please, please, man, 
hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you grabbed a couple nuggets, man. Um, it's definitely inspiring. And, and, and you know, um, Luke put out all his information. We're going to put all of that stuff in the show notes. So please subscribe. I know we drop a new show every Thursday. Please subscribe to the YouTube because visual representation matters. And uh, please stay safe, practice gratitude, and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even. Assuming you're rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. 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 Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Smack mouths and racks on handmade new rags. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. I'm sorry, everybody from sports to college class to rap and rap.